this morning the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds and what comes from that story. So I want you to read along with me again. We're just going to read um, verses 8 through uh, about 14, and, and then we'll get into the message and get into the word this morning. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out of the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So if we get into the word, if you know this story, which I'm sure you are familiar, in Luke chapter 1, an angel appeared to Mary. You know, and in that, uh, you know, she announced to her that she was chosen to give birth to the Son of God, Jesus. And she accepted that assignment with adulation, with praise, with some hesitancy, with some fear, with some, uh, you know, not, not a whole lot of clarity as to why me? Why did God choose me? So now an angel appears to lowly shepherds. You know, it's interesting that when you look at this story, Mary is seemingly unknown nobody from a town unknown. If people didn't know the name, they probably wouldn't even have known it existed in Nazareth. And now shepherds, seemingly insignificant and lowly, lowly according to society, they were nobodies, they were outsiders. They were not revered. And yet God, in both circumstances, sends his messenger, sends his angel to appear to them to give them the greatest news that the world has ever known. But God chooses the insignificant. And that's the beautiful story this morning. God chooses the insignificant to receive the greatest news and uses the insignificant to deliver the greatest news. And that's where we come into the story. And that's what we need to understand this morning. When God decides to visit people, though, it brings fear. When you read God's word and you read what he calls us to do, it's going to bring some uncertainty. It's going to bring some fear, some trepidation, some, some like, dude, is this really what you want me to do? Is this really what you want me to communicate, what you want me to say? And his answer simply is, don't fear. Yeah, <laughs> I chose you for a reason. You know, in Luke 1.30, Mary was greatly troubled, but that trouble would turn to praise. In Luke 2.9, what we just read, the shepherds were filled with great fear, and yet that fear would turn to joy. As I, as I love the video, it represented that very well, that uncertainty of, of what they just heard, but then when that word came true and appeared before their eyes, that turned to absolute joy. And then what did they have to do? They had to go and tell everybody. Amen. You heard the words, everybody needs to know. So in each circumstance, each encounter, we're told not to fear, but the message we receive may provide fear, but the outcome is always going to be joy and praise. But here's what I want, where I want to settle in this morning. Verse 10 and 11. And what we read this morning. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So there's two things we're going to draw out this morning. Number one, the phrase that the angels used, or the angel used for these shepherds was, I bring you good news. We need to settle, sit on that for a minute. I bring you good news. Now, if you actually look into the meaning of this, we would think, oh, it's good news. It's happy. It's joyful. Yes, that's true. But there's something very interesting that when you look into the original language of that phrase, good news, it translates euangelizo. I'm not great with the Greek, but it's the best you're going to get from me. Euangelizo. It's where we get our term evangelize. So what does good news mean when the angel speaks? He's saying, I have for you the gospel, the good news. I'm evangelizing to you. I'm sharing with you. I am proclaiming to you evangelizo, the gospel. It's not just, here, I have some info for you. No, I have the gospel for you. In order to fully comprehend, though, why this is good news, why the gospel is good news, maybe a lot of us here already have that understanding, but for maybe those that don't have that fuller, deeper understanding of this good news, let's talk about it. In order to know and understand that there's good news, we need to understand something very clearly. If there's good news, it also means what? There's bad news. Now, I know we don't want to dwell on the bad news, but we have to understand the bad news in order to fully comprehend the good news. That without the birth of Christ, now remember, again, just a little clarity, this is not a human being born and then granted powers of the supernatural. No, no, no. This was God himself. This was the incarnation of God in the flesh. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He always was God. But in His ultimate beautiful plan, He decided to appear in human form. God in the flesh. But without the understanding of that birth, without that, for the reason He came, we don't have hope. There would be a tremendous reason to fear. Because the bad news of no salvation in Jesus Christ equates to a death sentence. It's a death sentence without Christ. Eternal separation from God. It's bad news. It's not pleasant. It causes a tremendous amount of fear for those that don't have hope, that don't have that understanding. And oftentimes there's a lot of people that do that, that walk through life blind and deaf to what they're walking towards. And so there's importance as to why they need to understand that there is, in fact, good news. There is hope. Let's understand this a little bit further. This good news, this connection of God in the flesh. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, speaking of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
God incarnate was not born just to be born. There was a reason he was born. There was a reason he came. And this is why he came. This is why he was born. He came to die. Now, I know it's difficult sometimes to look at our scene here, our, our nativity scene, and look at that little baby and see that baby covered in blood. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that little, nice, beautiful baby, clear as day, picture-perfect skin with this little halo over its head, would grow up 33 years later and suffer the worst, most excruciating death men could ever devise. But that's why he came. Because he did it for you. He did it for everyone. Thus the good news. But how are people going to know? How are they going to know? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 says that through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death. Excuse me, I'm going to read that again. And deliver all those who through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ came to die. And he came to die to set people free. Amen. To set everyone free. Because there was a fear of death. There is a fear of death. In fact, I just recently, this past Tuesday night, had the opportunity to do a funeral, collective funeral, for all those that passed away while living on the streets this past year. I was invited by SWAG to do a memorial service for some, I'm guessing, 35, 40 members in our community here that passed away this last year while living on the street. And we talked about this idea that what death brings is a fear. It brings a fear of the unknown, a fear of uncertainty. It causes us to question life or question our purpose or question everything that's going on and what am I doing, who am I, and a lot of questions that, that death will bring. But yet when we understand the good news, does that not eliminate the uncertainty? It eliminates the fear, or should, because that's why Christ came. There was no other option. A perfect God had to be sacrificed so that imperfect people could be welcomed into his family and into glory. It's the only option. It was the only way. His birth, his life, his ministry is what builds the bridge between our sinful separation from a holy God. Everything that he would do, why he came, is to build that bridge. Because no matter what we do, it's not good enough to be good enough to walk into that kingdom. Or to be accepted into that family. That's why multiple times throughout his ministry, he would declare certain phrases, such as, what we read in Matthew 11, come to me. Those who are what? Weary. Tired. Weary. Heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest. But you need to do what? Come to me. In John 1, he declares that, or excuse me, 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in Acts 4.12, after Jesus had ascended to his glorious throne once again, it was said of him, there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved, except by the name of Jesus Christ. Right. You know, there's a lot of people that say that there are many roads that lead to heaven. You've probably heard that mentioned. And it's mentioned a lot. 
People don't feel as if there is only one way. But the reality is, Scripture tells us there is only one way. And he sacrificed his life to forgive everybody of their sins, to welcome you into his family. We cannot forget that important concept of the gospel message. That it's not just that we're saved. It's not just that we don't go to hell. But it's that we're welcomed into God's family. That is a beautiful word for a lot of people in society today who might feel lonely. Who might feel set apart by their family because of this reason, this reason, or this reason. And they've been kicked out. They've been set apart. They've been pushed aside. And feel as if in my loneliness, what hope do I have? What connection can I have again to a family? And God says, my good news for you is you are now part of my family. Amen. Now, if you caught the, the priest's words at the beginning of the video, he was reading from Isaiah. So I want to read those words again, and I want to draw something out of that. It's Isaiah chapter 35. And what he read in the video was verses 3 through 6. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, kind of bring a little bit of clearer language to us. But it says, with this news, what news? Good news. The good news. Strengthen those who have tired hands, to encourage those who have weak knees, to say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The beautiful salvation of Jesus Christ. But what, it's, what he said in here is he will come to save you. Why do you need saving? What are you saved from? What's the big deal? Well, that's the gospel message. That's the good news. That number one, four things that we're saved from. Number one, we need to understand that we're saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? We're saved by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. We're in this Christmas season. What greater gift can we receive than the gift of salvation? We just have to place our trust in Him. It is only by His grace, because as we talked about, the bad news is we're not good enough on our own. We can strive and strive and strive, and we can do everything we possibly can. We can follow every single law that man has created, and we will still fall short. The Scripture tells us, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of everything that you're trying to do to just be a good person, because good people go to heaven. Um, you can do everything you can to be good, but what, what is your reward for trying to be good on your own? Scripture tells us, Romans 6.23, for the wages, what you get paid for, for all your hard work, is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we're saved by grace, and we're also saved from. Well, you might understand, well, why do I need saving? What am I saved from? Well, we're just going to make it very clear. 
and very blunt, you're saved from hell. You are saved from eternal damnation. You are saved from eternity in separation from a loving God. And that's a, a lot of people don't understand. That's why they question, how can a good, loving God send people to hell? And the simple answer is, he doesn't. He didn't create hell for people. He created hell for Satan and his, his demons. He wants everybody to go to heaven, but he gives us that choice. So those that go to hell walk in by their own volition, their own choice. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are saved from eternal damnation. We don't like to say these words, but we deserve hell. In our humanity, in our sinful nature, we deserve hell. But Jesus, with his love for us, looks upon us and says, I know where you're headed. I love you. I have something for you. But you need to turn around. You need to turn around and come to me. But we're also saved from something else. We're adopted into the family of God. So what are we saved from? We're saved from orphanhood. And again, this is not something that I'm just making up. Scripture tells us in Hosea chapter 14, verse 3, In you alone do the orphans find mercy. And Jesus' own words in John 14, verse 18, says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And jump down to John 14, 23, it says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So we're saved from having to be an orphan. You know, doesn't Scripture talk about pure and undefiled religion as this? That you visit the widows and orphans in their distress? We're not meant to be alone. God desires us to, be, to belong to something greater than ourselves, namely him and his family. So we're saved by grace, we're saved from hell, and we're saved for God's purposes. You may even ask yourself, God, why did you save me? I'm no good. Who am I? Well, who was Mary? Who were the shepherds? Who was anybody else that God chose? <coughs> Excuse me. In Jeremiah 15, 11, it says that God says, Surely I will set you free for the purposes of good. And in Ephesians 2, 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You have purpose. He doesn't save you so you can just then go and do whatever you want to do and, and try and be good on your own will and try and figure it all out. He doesn't save you and then leave you. He says, no, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. I've set you free for purposes of good. I have a purpose. You have value. Therefore, I want to put you to work for my glory, my kingdom. There are, there are, there's things to do. Let's get to work. But just a little sub-point, we don't work for salvation. Salvation has already been had. But now, because he saved us, we can work for him with joy. And number four... We're saved by grace, we're saved from hell, we're saved for good works, and we're saved to live a life worthy of his calling. 1 Peter 2.16 says, live as people who are free. 
In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, it says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Which is what? The goal. we got to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He saves us for multiple reasons, not just so you can get out of jail free card and then live how you want. No, there's purpose. So we need to evaluate. We need to seek the Lord and say, what do you have for me? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? And then be obedient to the answer. You know, last week in our service, we talked about Mary's response. She said, let it be to me according to your word. Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Whatever God calls us to do, we are obedient and, and do because no matter the outcome, it's praise and joy for his kingdom and his glory. Amen? So that's the good news. Evangelizo. Evangelism. The gospel. If we understand the gospel and have a better understanding and comprehension of what Jesus came to do, that only leaves one response on our part. I bring you good news of great joy. Amen. Great joy. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. It says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Remember, these shepherds are declaring some crazy message about the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ is here. Again, these were outcasts. These were the low of society. What possible message do you have to give me? There was a lot of questioning going on. But remember, it doesn't matter who you are. It's a matter of who you have faith in and the word he's given you to spread loud and clear. But Mary treasured all, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So we looked at the meaning of the, the good news, this easy meaning of great joy. It's cheerfulness. It's delight. It's gladness. I hope that's not a surprise to anybody. There's no deeper Greek meaning to joy. It's joy, happiness, gladness. But what do we receive when we're in the presence of God? The video understood, or gave us that understanding when the shepherds, in all their confusion and wonderment of what they just saw, the moment they appear before Christ, it all makes sense. So what do we get in the presence of God? He gives us everything, everything, to live this life that we need. Because we live in Him. He makes His home in us. Therefore, He is in us, His Spirit in us, and gives us everything we need to live this life. And you know what that is. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and Self-control. Again, I, I say it all the time to our church, but I want you all to hear again, that's not just a, an elementary verse to memorize. That's not just a, a crafty little thing, the fruits of the Spirit, to have kids create. That is for us. It is how we live, because it's Christ in us. 
But we need to understand the source of this gift. It's not something we manufacture. Can I say that again? It's not something we manufacture. It's who we are. It's who we become when we place our faith in Christ. So that calls for a little evaluation. A little self-reflection on everybody's part to how am I living? If I place my faith in Christ completely, then I am His and I live in His Spirit. Therefore, I should just exude love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. Am I? And if not, you don't just try harder. No, you have to seek the Lord. Seek His Word. Let it infect you, cover you, from be, and just be in His presence and let that come forth. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Let me fill in some blanks. For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become righteousness. Not to go off on your own and try and manufacture and create some sort of holiness in your life so you can have this appearance of the almighty saint. No. That's not who you're to be. You're to be you. And let Christ shine through you. Jesus was not made sin at his birth. Please understand that. He was always sinless, always God, God in the flesh. 1 John 3, 5 says, You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there was no sin. He didn't become a sinner. I want to make that clear. He did not become a sinner. He was always without sin. But at that pivotal point on the cross, He carried the weight of your sin and my sin. That's what it means by when He became sin for us. He didn't become a sinner. He carried the weight of our sin on himself. I want to read this passage of scripture and make this very, very clear. This is one of those that I've read before, but when I read it again in light of what we're talking about today, I got another spiritual slap in the face. Let's put it that way. A little divine kick in the rear. Again, because these words just became so apparent and loud and clear to me again. So I want you to hear the word. I'm sorry that things aren't up on the screen, but please listen. Hear these words. It comes out of Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Listen. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He destroyed everything to make your path clear and easy and straight. There is no confusion in what Christ did for us. He eliminated the law. Because it's not the law that makes us good. It's the blood of Christ that washes us clean. This is the grace of God. 
This is the grace of God that targeted his own son so that we would not have to suffer the wrath of God. So if we can wrap our minds around that precious, life-saving, life-altering gift, the only option we have in how we live our life is joy. It's our only option. Joy in how you live. You see, what the shepherds experienced in the presence of Christ, they were so filled with joy and praise they couldn't help but share the good news, the gospel. They couldn't help but go and evangelize and let as many people as they could know Jesus is here. You need to see him. They were calling people to church and they didn't even know it yet. You need to come and see Jesus. Let me leave you with a couple passages of scripture. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. says, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Psalm 21, verse 6, For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. See, we connect ourselves to Christ. And we keep our eyes fixed on him in all that we do. There is nothing but joy. When we hold his hand of righteousness, there is nothing but joy. Pleasures forevermore. So we ought not get caught up in this place. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about this world. There is a tremendous amount of things the enemy wants to use to frighten you. To terrorize you. To get your eyes off of Christ. Because when you look at anything else but him, you're immediately going to fall into this political, cultural funk. And you got to try and dig your way out again. Because you, I, have taken our eyes off of Christ. He's done nothing. <laughs> except continue to stand there. And look at me. Turn around. Set your eyes upon me. As scripture says, fix your eyes upon him. Follow him. And in his presence, you'll have nothing but joy, hope, purpose. We have a better comprehension of the gospel, then we can truly understand what the angel meant by bringing you good news of great joy. Somebody say amen. Amen. I want you to just think on these things. Scripture tells us many times that we're to just spend time meditating on His Word. And it's my prayer that you've heard God's voice this morning. You've heard God's Word this morning. You felt God's presence this morning. So whatever it may be for you, Personalize it. Spend a minute now and just give that to the Lord. So here's what it comes down to if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Scripture tells us you are saved. And if that's you in this room, then we have reason to praise. We have reason to rejoice, reason to be filled, overflowing with joy. 
to let that mark your being as you move forward. If you're listening to this and you realize that's not me, I've never done those things. And again, it's not what you do to receive Jesus Christ. It's what you believe and it's what you confess. If you have questions about the gospel, questions about salvation, and I say this lovingly and carefully, but sincerely, if you even are questioning whether or not you're saved, then I need you to come and talk to us. So we can clarify as best as we can in our way what this really means, what it means to your life. So you can rest assured as you leave this place today that you have life in Jesus Christ. Whether you're here in this room or watching online, please reach out and ask those questions. It has to be something that you do. To not just create this emotional moment where you raise your hand and jump up and, and come down to the altar. This is not price of right. This is life in Jesus Christ. I need you to understand that. So you have to make the decision. You have to make that understanding clear in your heart that if you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. He's not just some spiritual being. He is Lord of your life. He takes control and ownership of your life. And you submit your life to him out of obedience. And you feel that breaking, that understanding that you need him, then you need to cry out to him. You don't cry out to your pastor. You cry out to him. All I can do is just give you the message. I'm not an angel. I'm actually a Dodger fan. <laughs> Got to bring a little humor into this. Bad, horrible humor, but nonetheless, all I do is ask. It's up to you to respond. Amen. Amen. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Bless your name. Lift up your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Lord God, because of who you are, what you've done. Thank you for saving our life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.